Hello, and welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. My name is Percy Hornack, and today I will be joined by the cast of our ARC adventure. Today we're here to talk about the way our heroes confronted impending doom. Uh, let's begin by going around and sharing names, pronouns if you'd like, and your role in the campaign, starting with Todd. Hello, I'm Todd. I see him pronouns, and I was the guide? I think that's the word. The guide for our adventure. Incredible. Dex. Hi, I'm Dex Fan. I have he, him, pro- I possess he, him pronouns. <laughs> and I was playing Lemon Sprinkle. Uh, Romana. I'm only referring to pronouns as being possessed. I really love like the kind of spectral darkness that is I am possessed by these pronouns and these pronouns possess me too. Um, anyways, my name is Romana Isabella. I am possessed by the pronouns she and they. Uh, the others just haven't had their spells appropriately cast on me just yet. And uh, I played Orm. Uh, Giovanni. Hello, my name is Giovanni Camagno. My pronoun possession is of the he and they flavors. And I played Silt. Uh, Anthony. <laughs> Hello, I am Anthony. I am held by the he, him pronouns and the they, them pronouns. Uh, and I played the character of Denise. And last but not least, Nick. Hello, I'm Nick. Uh, on my back, I carry gently the he, him series of pronouns, like, like a tiny baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Uh, and I am... Yes, <laughs> I am going to read what Ro said in our chat. I have not yet been able to exercise from myself the he and him series of pronouns. We're working on it. Um, and I played Twily, who uses he and they pronouns. Uh, thank you all for uh, a fun bit and also introductions. <laughs> We're in a goofy mood. <laughs> <laughs> the bit reigns supreme at Dungeons and Drama Nerds. Oh, this feels very appropriate to the vibes of the campaign, if I'm being completely honest, because I feel like many decisions in the campaign were just a series of bits that became serious. Deadly serious. <laughs> to kick things off, I believe this was a new game to everybody, so I'm curious about uh, what was your sort of general experience of ARC as a game? Some things that you that I might offer to you as a jumping off point. What was it like to play with real time being a factor in your gameplay? Were there mechanics you really liked? Was anything surprising to you? I mean, I think for one, it didn't really hit us until the end of the first session that, oops, we really got to go, um, both as a, a guide and I think the players. Mm-hmm. Um, after after our first session, we were all like, ooh, <laughs> we got to get moving. <laughs> Um, which was exciting and fun. But something that I really enjoy about this game is the the rituals that you, the player, have to do in order to reactivate your skills. Um, there's something very fun about the lovely little song that Dex sang for us, um, the, the compliments that uh, people use to inspire one another. Um, there's just something like very wholesome, but also... I'm trying to put my finger on it, but something about like the co-location of what the player is doing and what the character is doing um, that's really exciting for me. It, it sort of like encourages bleed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
It is very cool. Yeah, and I think there is something to be said about how many sort of mechanical aspects there are to this game, thinking about um, how there is the wide variety of skills and the checks and the setting those different, just math, you know? Um, but I think there's also something to be said about like, so many TTRPGs have these different systems and math and mechanics. Um, and I think there's something really thrilling about just, you have to be present to actually sort of like engage with some of these um, in this game in a way that is just so exciting. Like there are so many mechanics that you're like, oh really? In other games you're like, oh, I, I guess I have to do this thing now to make sure that I can do this thing in character. I have to do this thing as a player to do this thing in character. Um, and this, uh, the way that these sort of rituals set us up, you know, made it fun. And like, it also brought a sort of like excitement um, between, between us as people. Mm -hmm. I think it's also super interesting to kind of like piggyback off of that, that like that element of presentness with the rituals also extends in a really interesting way with the kind of like ruthlessness of the actual mechanics of the game mm. because like you really only have one die and even there were moments where i was like oh i really need like a wide smattering of opportunities like i want to be able to do a, a range of different things and like I think it was pretty obvious as I was playing the game that like I had set a certain kind of intention with the character and then the character really just like took me for a ride in a completely different direction and I just had to follow it. But there were definitely moments where like I felt at a disadvantage because like when you only have the option of like a two and you're like that is a high failure rate and like the thing that i find interesting is that one of the core ways of overcoming that ruthlessness is like to give away like your uh your connections with people like i forget the name of them again the bond major bond. and minor bonds bonds but like i found it really interesting because like all of us were just like shooting bonds to each other all the time. And I think in a really interesting way, that was another thing that like really grounded you in the world because like we had to very clearly think about how we could help each other in this very ruthless situation. And like, I remember when we got poisoned, that was kind mm. of a really eye-opening moment for me where I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I like, I, I really do enjoy how the presentness and also the bonds, like, I, I think I was kind of, um, most of the time I'm a little bit hesitant to, like, really get excited about, like, relationship-based games where there are, like, mechanized systems to define relationships. Like, unless I'm playing one of those, like, uh, storyboard choose your own adventures where I'm like trying to seduce a classroom full of like beautiful anime girls like I'm not particularly interested in the game mechanics of relationships because like it feels much more organic to just like do it with each other 
But this time it actually felt very effective and also very well uh, embedded in the actual uh, play. Yeah, and there's something about having to rely on each other because it is such a fixed time game. No one's going to be good at everything. Like you can only level up dependent on time. And so if you aren't going to be able to max out all your skills, you'll be able to do certain things. You need to depend on the other people to do the other things. I mean, you did max out one skill. Yeah, um, (laughs) that's why I was like, yeah, give me that. I can't do jack shit for anything else. But if we need to be coordinated and careful, I'm your person. Also, you're just a fish head. So I really love the idea. Like, because when you think about fish outside of water, you think like, they're flopping around, but I really love the idea of like this reverse mermaid is actually just like very stable and very like on like balanced just because like all you needed was a human bottom half. Mm-hmm. Call us up, science. We got some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Try taking some new ideas, science, you idiots. <laughs> I'm sorry that got very antagonistic very quickly. I was just going to say, I found the game a lot. Not that I was expecting to not get enjoyment out of the game, but when you open the cover of, of, of the book and you like kind of judge it, right? Arc Doom sounds like very doom and gloomy, but the narrative system ended up being a lot more open than I expected. I will say, I don't really know. It's so hard to evacuate, evaluate, evacuate, evaluate in a vacuum, like how good the system was. I'm not sure if I actually liked the system versus I just liked playing with the people I got to play with. Like, everyone was wonderful. And did that make the system better than what it was presenting, right? So something I felt like Arc Doom was kind of not missing out on, but taking a different approach to was, like, because everything was real-time based, it felt like taking time for like narrative detours or to describe how your character was doing something or how your character looked in a certain moment all of a sudden it added this like stressful component to Mm -hmm. the role play of like am i speaking fast enough so that we can accomplish our goal before a doom happens (laughs) and it was like a really weird idea of like this higher barrier to entry into this role-playing game because as you play the game more and more right like this is a game i feel like that benefits from like everyone having played it like five six tens of times and then all of a sudden you're all familiar with the rules and then the narrative can take kind of like a, a forefront when as we discovered after doing a narrative heavy first hour all of a sudden we were like oh there goes our doom clock <laughs> so it was an interesting trade-off yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think it was very fun because um, I do am a person. I am a person who enjoys the faffing around and the the collaboration on inside jokes and making them together and those things. Uh, I, I personally, although I was very stressed and anxious, I enjoyed that experience and getting to do that together and feeling the pressure and like. Uh, is this joke worth it? Okay, maybe not. I'm not going to say it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The, the, even that, like having to make those choices is uh, something I didn't expect, but was very fun. Um, I too really enjoyed the rituals and what came of those. I feel like that created, uh, oh, like not, if it's not too on the nose, created bonds between us as players having to put ourselves out there and do maybe awkward uh, things that we wouldn't normally do. Uh 
which I think it, it, I think that was sort of a bonding experience in its own way. Um, I also like that the mechanics for me at least like weren't too complex, so I didn't feel like they got in the way, which I think is good too with it being a time based thing. That it was just like okay, quick, these are the. It was very easy to refer to, and the 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 Google form character sheet was also like super useful and like knocking things out really fast. Um, but I, I was appreciative of that part of the, the, the mechanics and the rules in the game too. Yeah. I gotta say, I, I also really liked the, I'm not sure I would want to go to it for any given like type of story, but I did really enjoy for this kind of self-contained thing, the time pressure once I became kind of conscious of it. I don't know. It, I felt like it kept me very engaged, uh, and so I, I really like that as an element. I will just add one thing that sort of surprised me that I hadn't really clocked in reading through the rules is, I think Anthony mentioned this earlier, the fact that, like, you can't be good. Not only can you not be good at everything, but there are some things that if you set up your character in a certain way, you like, you really can't attempt. I remember there was a moment in our last session where I was like, okay, so this seems like it would be, like, a careful... Uh, I don't remember what the skill was, like study thing or something. And I was like, well, I have a zero in both of those. So it's literally mathematically impossible for Twiley to succeed at that, which I don't think is bad, but I think is actually kind of rare in mm. in contemporary games. Like usually you can at least, you know, it's sort of the attitude of like, well, you can at least take a shot at it. Um, but it was sort of surprising to me to be like, oh yeah, there, there are things that, I just straight up can't do, or at least can't do under pressure like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from outside, it seems like there is a very weird, like, tension between, like, this game is asking you to do a lot of, like, imagining and a lot of collaboration, but it is also asking you to power game in a lot of, like, you have to be, mm. it is conflating your sort of, like, you're metagaming a whole bunch um, in a way that many games sort of profess to not ask you to do, but this game is sort of like, you, like there's no other way around it you have to. Um, and I think that's interesting. And I think the time actually plays a factor in that as well, because, like, you can't, you, you, you don't want to waste time. <laughs> like, you need to solve problems efficiently, which is going to encourage that kind of metagaming. We've touched on this a little bit, um, but I am curious to hear if there are any other ways that you feel the sort of bonds and relationships that you all established during character creation shaped your gameplay and how you feel about the ways that those evolved. I found it kind of difficult to... I loved everybody's characters and felt like we had a really good interplay. I found it mechanically difficult. I, I found myself surprised that I wasn't organically discovering moments to build the mechanical bonds more quickly like it was sort of something i expected to just happen and then i was sort of like oh this isn't i'm sort of like sitting on the same uh bonds that i had at the at the start of the game and i started looking for ways to like insert twily into moments of of like inconveniencing himself or trying to defend somebody else to build those moments I found too, um, like mechanically using what we had set up in our session zero was um, like, okay, that's a cool opportunity. But then I also, I, I did find narratively that I, I, I felt like I would almost have to shoehorn in 
the relationships that we had talked about beforehand or I, I, or they just didn't like come up um like lemon sprinkle was the one that i had the most bond with and i just felt like there wasn't a a, a time in the story and, that, and that's not uh, a discredit to anyone or anything it was just like interesting and we had the moment with denny's teaching silt how to swim uh and we like talked about that briefly but it was interesting um and i, and I felt the same that the narrative growth of relationships was, uh, I agree with Nick, not easily reflected mechanically. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there would be a different way to do that, but. I wonder if time plays a factor there too, because we only had the five hours. Right. And it, a lot of the bonds is like, you know, you, you know, you get a bond if you inconvenience yourself for one of the other PCs. And I'm like, but in a short game like this, a short game that has a ticking clock, like it, it, it would be real. I think it would have felt really challenging if Todd had set us up with like, here's the scenario where you have a ticking clock and also a bunch of you are at cross purposes. You know right. what I mean? Like that, right. w- that would create the opportunity for inconveniencing yourself. Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. for me, uh, listening to that, it's like, okay, maybe for me it just wasn't as much of a priority to, to do that. It was more like solve the problems, uh, address the omens, and so that part of the narrative and stuff went to the side for me. That That's probably more accurate. Yeah, I think I already spoke to the fact that like I think the bonds were really effective in getting us to be present, um, but I also agree with everybody else that I think... Um, I think having like pre-established bonds, I would love to see kind of like an interplay between the bonds, like bonds is also like a renewable resource that you get with XP. Like, I think that would be really interesting because like, I think that some people are like, oh, we really, we like tag team really well together. So like having these bonds going back and forth work. So I think that like that would be an interesting way to kind of manage some of the more kind of like pre-planning that feels shoehorned in later on when the organic kind of interplay has a different direction. I love that. I mean, yeah, even thinking about games that have been played on Dungeons and Drama Nerds, thinking like how there were sort of end of session questions just for the last game um, in uh, Brindlewood Bay, like thinking what are the questions, what are other ways to form bond, which is like maybe more of a philosophical thing. It's like, how do we, how do we connect with people in the world? (laughs) I don't think the only way that we create these sort of like connections that can have like external ramifications is just from putting yourself or sacrificing something. And I think that could be something really compelling is wondering what are the questions that we answer and say, yes, this is some sort of thing that I have done with this other person that means that I innately have the ability to allow them to do more, be, be, I don't know, people, people supporting people. (laughs) Preach more success uh switching gears a little bit were there or rather i'm certain that there were 
what were some specific sort of moments during gameplay that were really exciting or surprising? Uh, story beats that took you by surprise, themes that emerged that you didn't expect, anything that sort of, yeah, was surprising or caught you off guard? The characters that we were were so fun to play as that I felt like every scene was just a joy to be in, but I feel like the two scenes that I liked the most out of the whole thing was one, Kuzban's office, and then two, like the final <laughs> climactic fight we had on Kuzban's ship. I feel like despite those scenes, we were all all over the place for both of those <laughs> scenes. So it was really fun that we were able to make time for each person to still shine and do something during both of those climactic scenes, even though we were on a time crunch, no one was like rushing anyone through their own, like their things. It felt like everyone got their own action to do during that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Agreed, yeah. Um, and props to Todd, I, I appreciate how well he managed that, thank you. Um, I know that I can like sit back and, and not want to speak up. So I appreciate when you called me out and made me speak up. So that was fun. And I was glad to be able to participate in that. And you totally blew my mind when I uh, Silt jumped in the water with the star of Cerulean. <laughs> and it just like hadn't even uh, crossed my mind to try to interpret the like prophecy poem thing that you shared with us earlier. I was like, oh, cool, they have a they have a myth thing. And I didn't even think about it again. It's totally spaced. <laughs> and then I come in, and the guy's coming out of the water, and I was like, uh, well, crap. Um, but then it worked out. It was such a cool twist, too, that that actually is um, how you're able to control or con con mm -hmm, commune with the, the being, Yolkedi J. Just cool things that I was totally unexpected and I felt terrible at first and then surprised and uh, excited uh, all in quick succession. It was really fun. Seconded. And I think also paired with like this matter of like you play you you designed a character who like intentionally like does also like have a tendency doesn't necessarily need to be the one to be the loudest voice in the room. And I think there's also something really wonderful about how you were able to have that connection with this giant being that like doesn't didn't necessarily need to be verbal as well, which I think in a lot of ways was a coincidence. Or maybe Todd's just a massive mega genius. I'd love to take credit for that. <laughs> that was happenstance, but it was lovely. I still think you're a massive mega genius like wonderful serendipity it was so yeah. great i did also really love that final silt and yoga dj moment but for all the reasons everyone said and also because i think at that point like we had a strong enough grasp on the characters and a strong enough grasp on the mechanics that there was a real sense that even though we were all dispersed i felt like we were all pulling in the same direction mm -hmm. um, in a way that was really really fun and cool I, I, I don't remember all the ins and outs of it mechanically but I think I was giving inspiration Gorm or somebody had burned a bond for it we were keeping Kuzban busy like it felt like a nice really cool like coming together moment even though we were all actually separate <laughs> it felt like a like a Soderbergh like Ocean's Eleven like everybody in their own little frame doing their thing and then the heist comes uh, comes together you know 
thinking back to, I remember we had a conversation at our session zero that was sort of about, and admittedly our session zero was months ago, um, but we had a conversation about just like what it is like to play this game that is apocalyptic in its stakes, that is about averting an apocalypse in a time where like in our real lives there are many things that are apocalyptic feeling happening and you do not have to speak to that specific thing unless you want to but I was curious what is it like to sort of play in a game with these apocalyptic stakes where like your characters are tasked with averting you know certain doom well I'm gonna take I I hope no one minds that I take (laughs) this on because it felt slightly pointed and <laughs> I promise you it was uh, not, but also I feel you can speak to it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, currently I'm living in a war zone. I'm living in uh, Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, it is not an active war zone, but when uh, the entire nation has a curfew, it does have a tendency to feel that way. And when there are rockets coming in, it does have a tendency to feel that way. So m- moving on. Uh, I do think that what I liked very much about this, and it speaks to kind of like the beauty of that silt moment in a lot of ways, um, there was something very wholesome about this entire campaign Mm -hmm. that I didn't realize how much I appreciated because, uh, there is a cognitive dissonance that happens when you're living in interesting times. And uh, I think I, I really, really liked uh, the kind of, I liked how present the game kept me while also giving me a little bit of escapism, but I think that speaks more to the talents of Todd as a storyteller. Um, so I'm just very, very grateful for that. Oh, thank you. I know that during that session zero, there were a bunch of different things that came up, um, both from you, Ro, and also, I know, Anthony, some things were happening in Turkey at the time um, that we were talking about. And so I think it was Romana, but someone had said, like, what if it's an emperor's new groove sort of apocalypse (laughs) and what if you know people are turning into animals and like there were a bunch of different things that people were excited about but like what if it was a sort of banal end of the world or end of a world um and so that's why we got focused on like the mayor and like what is the city government doing and like gentrification um and those things I wanted to look at like a tiny apocalypse um, and like how can an apocalypse come to a small community? What might that mean? To give kudos to like the people who wrote Arc Doom, again, Arc Doom sounds so like threatening and doomy and edgy, but like going in, I think they even have some uh, mention of that in the book where it's like mm-hmm. the Doom can be anything. The Doom doesn't have to be like this like apocalyptic level of of stakes it can be like the gym could be a wedding you have to go to it could be a dinner party or it can be the rise of an elder god like all of these things can be a doom and they were just like a doom is whatever your party needs it to be in that particular moment i thought that was like a surprise again like the book was most surprisingly wholesome the whole thing art was beautiful i think again the the 
reality of the time crunch made that feel actually much more precious to me in a weird way. This is the first tabletop game I've played in a very, very long time where I felt viscerally the fact that we, the players, could lose. Mm. You know what I mean? Like in, mm-hmm. like in a D&D, in most D&D games, it's like, yes, you, like your character might die, but collectively, even I, I would say in like current D20 culture, as I've experienced it as a GM and player, like even if something goes catastrophically wrong and it's like the group fails to achieve its goal, Usually it's like, okay, and we spin that into the next adventure. But here's like, boy, if that clock runs out, we just lose. Like, straight up. That's it. That's And like, yes, maybe use that as a seed for the next adventure, but it's a much more like concrete fail state than most tabletop games have. Um, and in a weird way, I think that actually made me feel much more attached to the world and these characters, you know, it really heightened the stakes in a very gut level way. And I do think there is something to be said about like how these dooms scale, thinking about it being in a fixed, um, the game happens in a fixed amount of time. I think while Nick, I did similarly feel the, oh shit, when the clock runs out, it's out. But I think there's also something really compelling about when we beat the clock and like wondering what is the next clock. And like, I think maybe that's just a part of like really enjoying the characters that we found and like figuring out what happens to those bonds, those relationships. Like, how do these characters progress in the next doom? Is the next doom going to be bigger? Is it going to be more mundane? Um, Like questioning where does this go and while still sort of uh cherishing like the really wonderful like compact there is an end it Mm -hmm. is kept here and Mm -hmm. we have done the thing or hey we didn't and that's cool too i was kind of looking forward to and i'm i'm glad that our story happened the way that it did um, but I was excited by the the possibility of like what happens if the doom clock runs out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a mechanic for it that's either like you accept your fate, um, but then there's a mechanic that's like you fight back against fate and you rewind the clock one beat and like try once more valiantly. Um, and I was hoping for that. I don't think that would have fit with the story that we were telling at all. <laughs> um, and also it's like dice rolls. Um, but I thought that, that was a really neat part of the mechanic um, that also allows you to like have that failure and still strive for victory. In that vein of, of things that things that could have been but weren't, um, is there anything that you hoped to explore in the game that you didn't get a chance to or anything that you sort of wonder about, like, oh, what if it was this way? I think that was kind of it. There was definitely... Um... Oh, boy, this... Uh, like uh, Momatos has a very strong like plan stuff but don't get attached to any of it because like who knows um, and I like gave y'all a bunch of information about like Kuspan and the Cerulean Star and y'all were like let's get the Cerulean Star and I was like I did not prepare for that at all <laughs> I thought you were going to be mad at the guy who turned Glenn into a turtle um, and so I was like very prepared for that happenstance 
uh, and so I don't think that there was anything that I planned that we didn't get. There was like maybe like what happens if you followed Kusban down the hole, um, mm. which is fine. Uh, and I think wound up in like a much better space anyway. Um, but I was big on like giving you choices that did have different consequences and allowing you to find like, what do you want to do? What are you excited about? I know I kind of wanted to engage more with like the game's magic and technique system. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it was just I didn't read it carefully enough, but from what it seemed like, I we just acquired the techniques from the point buy system at the start of the game and our spells. And then I wasn't exactly sure how to acquire more. And I thought that would be really interesting to have more things where you'd like have rituals to do or something like that. So like in a future game, I might like look into more spells and see what to do there. But because it was a very interesting mechanic, as everyone's mm -hmm. already. Yeah. Yeah, I loved those. And with the point by it, like, if you wanted to like pick like the top one of the like the most expensive spells or techniques, that was like the only thing you got. And I was like, dang, I really like all of these. I want all of this. <laughs> Similar, yeah. I just like to explore. Like, I want like I do want to jump back in and see what another iteration of this looks like. And like, ha because I think there was a lot that is left on the table when you have such a constricted uh, frame in which to play. Um, yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, I, I, I do feel like, in addition to the kind of character stuff that we talked about earlier, wanting just more time with these characters and a little bit more time to like see how they bounce off each other, I do feel like the game offers enough stuff that it... Um, the game offers a lot of stuff that probably you can only really engage with in its like longest form versions, like learning new spells and techniques and stuff like that. I don't know. It would, it, it would have, I feel like it would have had to really be like rushed in there in the time frame we had. Whereas if we were playing, I don't remember what the longest sort of suggested thing is, but I think it's like the clock ticks every hour and a half or maybe even like once every session or something, you know what I mean? Like doing the same game on a much longer time scale, I could imagine getting to play with more of those things. Uh, Todd, do you have any questions for the cast? I don't know that I have anything very specific. I guess, um, are there things that you wanted to explore in your characters that we didn't have time to? Like, are there... Are there things that you were looking forward to? I know that, like, we were going to add Gorm's whole harem eventually <laughs> of all of Gorm's turtle boyfriends. Um, but, yeah, were there things that you uh, wanted more of, wanted to explore more of? More of Gorm's harem. That's the only thing I want to say. <laughs> Turtle, hair up, turtle, hair yeah, always room for more boyfriends. <laughs> more boyfriends, that's it. Everybody's jealous of my 100 boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I found myself, uh, all, yes, boyfriends, but also, um, <laughs> I got really invested in the idea of Silt, and so I kept thinking about uh, these uh, like different ideas about possibilities and about their potential origin. And yet, when we finished the story, I felt, like, fully satisfied. I, I loved 
the arc that ooh the arc that Silt experienced and so I've, I've both said Doom and yeah Bonds and Arc um, so I love the arc that Silt experienced and the very unexpected uh, but satisfying direction that it went so I, I don't feel unsatisfied uh, in any way there is one thing I did want to flirt with which Dex um, in session zero you said something which about was the boyfriend's <laughs> all of the boyfriends um dex during session zero you had said something about like one of the rumors about lemon sprinkle was that lemon sprinkle was really tough um but also that lemon sprinkle might be death um itself <laughs> um, and i was really intrigued by that idea and i didn't know how to like bring that up without being like hey lemon sprinkle in this moment are you a harbinger of death <laughs> are you the grim reaper um but that was something i was really curious about trying to like find a way to play with like i was really excited um anthony when we found a time for the giant squid um mm-hmm. like that was something that was on my bucket list and i wasn't sure how to work that in and then like we had that moment and i think that was really lovely but uh, a thing that I wanted to play with for Dex was like in which Lemon Sprinkle is an avatar of death <laughs> I felt like I got a, plenty of opportunities to like play Lemon Sprinkle I'm very happy with how it turned out so mm-hmm. I don't feel like we missed out on anything there cool Cass do you have any questions for Todd was there any world in which you uh, anticipated us figuring out the star of cerulean trick or was it clear that there was no way we were going to figure out that if you put it in the water you can control i was trying to find a moment and like you had just crashed onto the ship um and i was trying to find a moment for kusban to get like really excited about the belt which he started to say mm-hmm. and then you like ejected yourself and i was like oh well that is what he was going to do. he was gonna like put on the belt and jump into the water and take control of this thing i really thing. love the idea of like a hero interrupting the villain during his speech like i think that that's just really great i think that that's a comedy beat that really works every Mm -hmm. single time i want to see the animatic of this rock (laughs) eating themselves (laughs) off the ship mid-speech it was pretty great so yeah yeah there was there was a plan to like reinforce that and then you like just like vaulted past it so fast that I was like, well, it has to happen now or I'll be lying later. Like either it needs to go or not. Uh, so that was fun. But yeah, that was, that was his master plan was okay. grab the belt and then start raising Lowtown. After we fought the um, Kuspan's cultist minions um, at the, uh, the, the, it's not Apple teeny. Um, the, the Asteroot Farm. Asteroot Farm. Thank you. Do <laughs> 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 we caught them at the Asteroot Farm? Uh, they all started running toward the river, mm-hmm. and I think it was the start of a session where we were like, "Well, that seems bad. We gotta go like take these guys down." <laughs> was anything actually going to happen when they got to the river? I think they were going to, like, jump in and be excited about the hand or something, but, like, that was it. 
Uh, but you all were like very set on like we must stop them, and I was like okay, um, and that burned through an hour of combat. Poisoned. I I know. You all got poisoned. We did need a way for you to be unpoisoned, which I hadn't thought about when I created Mm. a creature that could poison you. Uh, (laughs) I just like pulled that character, but yeah. I really, I really like the idea how like we had the opportunity to meet. I don't know. I think like. If we hadn't, like, if we had let them just run away and go into the water, like, we probably would have, like, talked to the Aster Roots and, like, had some sort of farm interaction. (laughs) But I really love the idea that all of us were just like, no, leave no survivors. That's how we get the job done. You don't leave survivors. I just assumed something bad would happen if they got to the river. I was like, there's got to be something further step here i know i was i was the exact same way i thought like i thought it was dangerous i thought we had to stop them and i think that was one of those things that i was like well this makes sense that they want to stop them from doing this (laughs) it wasn't my intention but like yeah so todd i did have a question for you because of Mm -hmm. like the the time-based structure of this game and we were like we were like racing against the clock at the end did you, as a GM, feel like compelled to assist us in getting to the doom? Like, how was how was structuring the game for you? Right, because we had to find three omens. So was it? Yeah, like how did you get us like to the omens? Were you trying to get us there at a certain time frame, or was it just like the party will find what they find and they won't find what they don't find? Yeah, I definitely. Um, especially after our first session, I felt like um, my, I could like send out these notes, but my notes wound up being like just paragraphs, like one paragraph about like each thing that you could do. And then like, let's see what happens when they get there. Um, and I feel like, you know, I've, I've GM'd Lancer, I've GM'd um, D&D, and I feel like in my role-playing beats, I have a lot more like, okay, like it could go this way or it could go that way depending on like how the players interact with this and that like could move the story forward in this way or this way. Um, but since we had such a finite, like there are three things that they need to do or the world ends, um, they have to do them in a very quick time frame or the world ends um i felt like i had a lot less like what happens if they just want to stroll through bay's reach and like take in a show or go to a restaurant like i didn't have to prepare any of that stuff which was nice um and instead i was just like okay like here's the things that i know that they have to do here's the things that i can provide opportunities for them to do to get to those things um and just go from there yeah this is a game that rewards decisive action (laughs) Mm-hmm. And rolling with first first instinct, best instinct. <laughs> Tell us about it. I think Nick made it the most clear in the final session when we spent more time deciding whether or not we were going to rest <laughs> than the actual time it would have taken us to rest. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember that one specifically because in my head, the rest was five minutes. The, the short rest was five real-time minutes because I had misremembered it. And then somebody was like, well, it says here a real-time rest is two minutes. And I was like, oh, no, we've, we've definitely been talking about this for longer than two minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any final thoughts about our game of ARC before we close her out? Let's all go get some turtle boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
boyfriends. Turtle boyfriends for everyone. And take them to the sauna. Thank you, audience, for tuning in. That's what we'll leave you with after this episode. Get a turtle boyfriend and take him to the sauna. Uh, thank you, ArcCast, for joining us. Um, and we will see you all next time on Dungeons & Drama Nerds. Dungeons & Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percival Hornack, and Nicholas Orvis. And this episode was mixed and edited by Percival Hornack. Season 3 features contributions from Christopher Dierksen, Ben Ferber, Corey Flores, Tess Huth, Romana Isabella, Leo Mock, John John Johnson, Dex Fan, and Anthony Sertel Dean. Our ARC campaign features Giovanni Camaño as Silt, Anthony Sertel Dean as Denise, Romana Isabella as Gorm, Nick Orvis as Twiley, Dex Fan as Lemon Sprinkle, and Top Ryan Backus as The Guide. If you'd like to help us continue exploring the intersection of theater and tabletop role-playing games, consider leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice or supporting us and getting access to our patron-only bonus content at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddramanerds. You can find all our social media and website links, including our cast bios, at the link tree in our show notes. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds. <laughs>